not everybody knows that you, you know, write stuff and, uh, you know, have things for people to read, like these two books. Basically, the kind of writing I really like and gravitate to is more like sort of early 20th century, mid 20th century kind of minimalistic writing a la Hemingway or kind of surrealistic but minimalistic like Kafka and these types of I scrap things if I don't think they're good. I've scrapped entire albums after they were recorded because I felt that I failed to get it properly. That's kind of the other level of the game. If you get to the point where you're comfortable enough with yourself to scrap a bunch of shit, I think you're doing pretty well because you understand that ultimately we're making works of art here. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to put out a book. I don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. I want to write a good book. Welcome to the Collaborative Resource Hub by Wellness Provisions. We're bridging the gap between mental health, wellness, and rock and roll. I'm Amy McBride, owner of Wellness Provisions, the most badass wellness business. Hey, are you feeling a little stuck in life? I offer wellness coaching sessions. Book a session with me if you're seeking to get healthy and ahead. Sessions are available worldwide. And check this out. Wellness Provisions supplies rock and rollers with high quality supplements. We've simplified your shopping experience and given you a trustworthy place to go where you can essentially shop blindfolded. And did you know, all our Collaborative Resource Hub interviews air on YouTube as well as all major podcast platforms. Subscribe to stay in the loop. Go immerse yourself in the full Collaborative Resource Hub experience over on our website. You'll have access to helpful resources that will inspire and educate you. So let's inspire each other. If that guy did it, so can you. Last but not least, my legal disclaimer, nothing in this interview or the Collaborative Resource Hub substitutes medical advice. Please connect with your GP if you need medical guidance. Black, hi, how are you? I'm feeling strong, feeling ready for wellness. Good. That's that's what I want to hear. Hopefully you're like well hydrated. You've had some fruits and or vegetables. I just had an apple, some almond butter, and now I'm drinking water. So I'm doing all the wellness healthy things. That's perfect. It's perfect. I also had an apple today. So fancy that. See, keeps you regular. That's right. It does. It's good fiber. Um, okay. So you were last on the podcast three and a half years ago. It's crazy. Nothing much, nothing much happened in the interval. <laughs> no, it was like, it was no, just no, no earth shaking events <laughs> happened during that period. Yeah. No, no, it's just been status quo. Yeah. All right. So not everybody knows that you, you know, write stuff and, uh, have, you know, have things for people to read like these two books. Okay. Yes, man. So I thought it would be fun to do this bonus episode, not about wellness. Well, I mean, not we about wellness. About, yeah, not about wellness, even though we just talked about apples, not about music, but about writing specifically. So there's nothing very well in those books. I mean, no, I'll but, tell you that. But they pretty unwell stuff. <laughs> but there's some really awesome sentences. Just I mean, like all of the writing. I love your writing. And but Thank there's you. some sentences that just like they make me laugh. It's like they're okay. just perfect. Yeah, I consider myself to be a humorist, you know. Um, it I think it doesn't always come across. With the bands, people tended to think it was serious, you know, and there were there were certainly some serious overtones there. But it was to us that we were having fun and it was humor. And it's kind of the same with these books. You know, I've read some people's take on it where they have a very, uh, you know, jaundiced take on what it is I'm trying to do. But really, I'm just kind of trying to make you laugh if, if I can, you know. Yeah. And it does successfully do that. So um, I guess, do you want to just speak to what your writing background slash bio thing is, you know, since people, um, cause like I had posted in my stories on the good old Instagram, these two books and people were like, what the hell he writes. So not everybody knows that. Um, and then also, um, I said, uh, another post anonymously, I was going to be doing an interview about writing who had questions. So people did submit actual questions also anyway. Uh -huh. 
background bio go? Well, I'm not what you would call a trained writer any more than I am a trained musician or a trained record producer or a trained songwriter. Um, although people did make attempts to train me, and I think I've had some, you know, guidance uh, with all that. I mean, it wasn't like no one helped me. It was just I was never very good at things like reading music, you know, but I, I thought I had some aptitude for it. So I kind of figured my way through and it was kind of the same with writing, you know, I mean, teachers would tend to give me good marks for my writing. Cause it was, I was interested in it and it was pretty good. But, um, well, my first book was sort of a stream of consciousness thing. It was sort of half detective novel and half William Burroughs. You know, and Burroughs was a big influence on me, but that's a very rough going style. It's very surrealistic. Mm -hmm. It's random in some sense. And it's hard for people to read, although it's kind of enjoyable if you let it kind of wash over you like poetry, you know, right. but if, you, if you're looking for facts, it can be hard. So that was a book called Arm to the Teeth with Lipstick. And I did it uh, came out around 1998. And the deal with that book was that it was illustrated by a guy who has come to be kind of a legendary punk rock figure. He was pretty legendary then, a guy named Mad Mark Rood. And he died uh, sort of uh, tragically of liver failure and and stuff like that a, 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 a few years back. Um, but, you know, Rood was sort of uh, a, a very detailed, self-taught artist who had done it probably his most famous thing is the misfits earth ad record but um you know he, he did a lot of band things he did things for the offspring and various people anyway he did this book with me arm to the teeth with lipstick and um that was that was my first foray into writing it was a little more experimental i have a question keep talking but is that what do you read part of that on the back on the like, is there like a bonus? Is that, you know, there's like. Yeah. So there's, there's a song called Surfing the Intercourse Barn, which is yeah. sort of my combination of prostitution and fast food, <laughs> which is a, a place called the Intercourse Barn. So again, this is kind of a takeoff on Burroughs, you know, and, um, you know, where you would come up with a fanciful idea and then you sort of write it through in a surrealistic kind of way so there's a a, a pimp in a mcdonald's uniform kind of thing and he you know introduces you this plate full of women you know and and uh i don't know it was uh it was pretty silly stuff yeah i narrated it and we did a little instrumental over it and that was surfing the intercourse barn um uh anyway a, a few years passed and uh you know mo most of what i do is kind of writing lyrics or playing shows and coming up with records takes a lot of my time but the books are always kind of simmering in the in the back back burner so around 2009 i came out with a book called nina and i cultivated a sort of a completely different style yeah that that's a reprint of it but the original it, you know it, it um Basically, the kind of writing I really like and gravitate to is more like sort of early 20th century, mid 20th century kind of minimalistic writing a la Hemingway or kind of surrealistic but minimalistic like Kafka and these types of things, right? Those are the kind of writers that I tend to gravitate toward. And so I sort of got out of the more surrealistic stuff, although there's little elements of what's sometimes called magic realism there in both Nina and my newest book, Highland Falls, which is the, the follow-up to Nina. Yeah. Um, but basically, I mean, it tells the story of a young woman uh, who comes from a suburban Illinois town. And I come from a suburban Illinois town and was fascinated by the young women there. That was what I spent most of my time thinking about and pursuing and being fascinated by and they sort of had this quality of they were very kind of clean and and polished and yet they were sort of mean under the surface and so I I thought you know how can I how can I basically write myself which is what I think most authors do but mm -hmm. put it into the uh, you know in Nina it was put it into the character of a 15 year old girl <laughs> 
And I thought that people would sort of hail that as a groundbreaking and interesting way of approaching things. Little did I know that instantly everybody would be like, fuck this asshole. You know, he must be a pedophile. Who does he think he is talking about a 15 year old girl? I, I, I thought it would be obvious that it wasn't really a sort of Judy Bloom book attempt to really understand exactly what 15 year old girls are like. I wouldn't pretend to know. And obvious, obvious does not exist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, you know, so I was sort of writing myself, but in the guise of this young woman, and it was sort of an exaggerated version of myself that was very much a sort of a sociopath and someone, you know, who just lived to sort of humiliate other people. And that was sort of Nina's raison d'etre. You know, she sort of is going through her teenage life, running roughshod over everyone she meets, adult and kid alike. So it's yeah. not like a YA novel or something. Right. Um, and it was largely ignored and feared in 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 equal measure. Um, you know, both of those books, Arms and Thieves of the Lipstick and Nina, had publishers, but the publishers were so sort of incompetent and ridiculous that I wound up kind of uh, just absorbing the books and doing them myself and putting them out myself. And I was going to do that same thing with this long-awaited follow-up to Nina, which is called Highland Falls, a little more three-dimensional, introduces some more main characters, but they're still sort of all me, you know? So Nina is sort of me as a teenage girl. Then there's a guy named Ace, who's sort of me in my early rock career. Uh, not a lot of talent, but a lot of sort of aggression. And then there's an older guy named Ricky, who's sort of me now, um, uh, you know, but all of them are kind of exaggerated and ridiculous versions of, of yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and so that, uh, I wound up actually finding a publisher at long last, a little publishing house called Rare Bird in, uh, in Los Angeles. And they mostly do rock books. And I think they were mostly interested in me because I'm a rock guy. Yeah. Um, which is sort of another layer of complication on what I do. Like usually when people in bands write, they're writing about the band or they write the history of the band or they write yeah. about music in general. But I only very tangentially touch on, on music in my stuff. There, there's a little more of it in this book, Highland Falls, where I kind of get into the dynamics of bands and what they're like. But I make it very clear that the band has no talent that that it's just a complete waste of time that no one is working and that it's very you know it's a little bit different than actual bands actually operate you know yeah well i mean i don't know i think whoever's writing whatever like it shouldn't matter if it's not like a memoir the you know which i mean the publishing house they did pick it up and you know they're putting it out but like should be irrelevant what genre you're writing or the rock and rollers writing yeah, you'd think so. But, you know, things kind of go in big glacial movements, especially when you're talking about something like writing. So, you know, in 1950, America kind of had its favorite novelists and it had its young up and coming novelists and it had its established novelists. And there was sort of this strain of like manly men of, you know, Hemingway and Mailer. And then you got these other uh, perspectives coming in from guys like Gore Vidal and 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 people like that and there were and then there was you know the the whole beatnik movement of poetry and surrealism so America used to know how to read a little bit um that has changed remarkably the average person really can't read and and I would include the average college graduate in that category seems like most of what they read is like, you know, seven things your boyfriend does that drives you crazy or eight things you can do to really get the best out of your Stairmaster, you know, and, and that kind of substitutes for reading now. So we've got a nation full of people who think they're reading and they indeed run their eyes over letters every day, but they're really not reading anything. There's no real power to think abstractly about yeah. things, which is why even though we're more inundated with information than ever, uh, abstract thought, rational thought, is at an all-time low. Um, there's more people now than 50 years ago who think that the earth is flat 
there's more people now who think they know better than, you know, the CDC or the FDA about what you should put in your body or whatever, you know, now that isn't to say that you should blindly unquestioningly follow the experts in everything. But it is to say that, you know, we're full of people now who are convinced that because they saw something on the internet, they, they, you know, it's the equivalent of having a medical degree, you know, and because they read some article, it's the equivalent of reading literature, you know, and, and, yeah. and it's just not. And, and so, you know, we're sort of up against that. And, and what, part of what that's pushed is sort of the death of fiction. So fiction exists for us in movies and comic books and stand-up comedy. That's where fiction lives. Doesn't really live in literature much anymore. When it does, it's sort of that kind of, you know, Jonathan Franzen, you know, this is how we're really living in 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 the big city. And, you know, this is this is how cosmopolitan people talk to each other. And this is how, you know, and it's just very, there's not much happening in fiction anymore that's terribly, you know, significant to me. And I, I'm not a great expert in it either. I'm like everyone else. I'm sort of in this fragmented media thing. I'm just kind of trying to reclaim that space of like a novelist where you're not just writing a plot. There's right. actually a, a style to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my work is pretty short on substance and long on style. And I'm fine with that, you know, so that's kind of the, the road that I'm hoeing is trying to make something that's interesting to you and that, you know, suggests this style. Um, and then, you know, if you get some plot points and some some allegorical uh, meaning in it, that's great, too. You know? Yeah. OK, so let me ask you this, then, even though I kind of already know the answer, uh, descriptives in writing is it better to have too much or too little or like what's the right amount to gussy up the writing <laughs> and like make it interesting without making you want to slam your head into the wall? <laughs> that is largely a question of style. My style is to go much more minimalistic. And so I would say less is more. Yeah. Um, that doesn't work with every kind of book that you're writing. I, I do think that there is a very kind of college professor book out there which leans too heavily on description, you know, and it's like, you know, the house in Cape Cod had the maroon shutters on the, you know, uh, you know, and the interior was stucco walls with blah, blah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not a terribly visual person. I find it very difficult to synthesize those words into an image in my head. Although I am, I am visual and it's like overload for me. It's, I find it annoying because it's like every single thing has like seven descriptives. It's too much. Yeah. And I think that the fun of reading a lot of it is to have the person create a picture in their head, you know, which again is why film, which I love music, which I love, you know, all of these things are in some sense inferior to writing because writing forces the consumer to mm -hmm. make their own soundtrack, make their own visual. Um, you know, and obviously the oldest form we have is people telling stories and writing is descended from that. But even at that, it's like people telling stories, you get a soundtrack. I mean, with writing, it's really fascinating to me. All you get are those things on the paper and everything yeah. else you have to bring to it. Yeah. And that's that's what I find interesting. Um, and and so, uh, you know, but everybody's different in, in that regard. I certainly love movies and, and TV and I certainly love love music, but I, I don't like to have things described to me only because I fail to make the visual image that they want me to in my head and I wind up having to create it anyway. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing is dialogue too. Uh, people tend to go for very, you know, hyper-realistic. There, there seems to be two kinds of bad dialogue, right? So one is like the kind of Aaron Sorkin, you know, really smart people spitting out really clever things very quickly. And then <laughs> every once in a while you have a big epiphany and you look somebody in the eyes and say, I realized I 
I've ruined my whole childhood, you know. That always strikes me as a little forced, right? Uh-huh. The other direction is that sort of, oh, this is what people really talk about. And it's like, you know, you know, did you did you roast the chestnuts? Yeah, they got roasted. You know, did you turn the heat on? Yeah, yeah. It's on, you know, and that too <laughs> is a little bit like, okay, well, it's pretty real. It's as real as watching paint dry, you know. <laughs> I, you know, that's a real thing you can do. But, uh, you know, for me, I try and go for one or two really well-chosen sentences. Someone says something and it it reveals something about themselves. Mm-hmm. I think, you you know, and so that's sort of the style that I've developed. It's very minimalistic. There's not a lot of description. And then when there's talking, you know, the, the talking is short and it's kind of meant to reveal something about 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 them or about the scene that's happening but I, yeah i like i like for people to kind of fill in the blanks themselves and and people tell me different interpretations of of what they see and i think that's that's good you know that's yeah it's interesting all right so how does your storytelling differ for songs versus novels yeah that's a great question i mean to me a song is music and lyrics so I don't really think in purely musical terms much, nor do I think in terms of like, this is my poem, let's just set this to words. You know, I think when you do that, you kind of get those those 80s Henry Rollins records, you know? It's like, why is there music behind this when so clear, you know, and the, and the musicians were good and there was something there, but it was just kind of like, this is what you wrote in your notebook. Yeah. You know? So for me, you know, I kind of hear a melody and I and I hear a phrase and it kind of goes together. And that's sort of where the the songwriting comes from. Very short-lived inspiration. And since I'm a singer in a band, it tends to be the kind of thing I would say, you know. So, you know, the dwarves were always a very aggressive band and very testosterone-driven. And so if I wrote a phrase about love or longing. It might be a song, but it wouldn't be a dwarf song. And so it would kind of get shelved. Um, and, you know, last year I finally put out a solo record of mine and some of the sort of songs that I'd written that didn't have anything to do with the dwarves mentality finally came out. And that had happened a few times. I, I uh, So last year I, I put out the Blag solo record, which was called Introducing Ralph Champagne. And it kind of introduce these other lyrical forms and and prior to that you know I had like a record called Candy Now that I did with a female vocalist and that was some different kind of stuff so I mean I've always written some songs that didn't exactly fit into the Dwarves group but the fact is like most of what I've written is like fuck die destroy (laughs) kill and again you know it's very easy for people to eliminate that and just say that's nothing right anybody could do that it reminds me of like Warhol's soup cans you know everybody says well and anyone could do it and of course the answer is well yes but you didn't you know and so you know with my kind of screaming fuck songs I'd like to believe that it 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 you know it delivers a certain kind of one-dimensional feeling that young people have which is just sort of aggression and frustration and, and and you know just kind of uh id and and stuff when you're writing a book it's a little different again because there is no soundtrack and there is there's no music surrounding it you have to create the rhythm and the music in there and so now you know you're kind of facing a different thing you know you're you're facing a person alone with their brain they could be reading the whole thing in one fell swoop on a long plane ride or train ride or they might you know do a chapter on the toilet kind of thing you know and so you have to sort of keep them interested moment to moment but also build this thing over time and with songs it's more like you know the most I'll really build things out over is like three minutes you know and usually it's more like one minute so it's sort of a whole different arc you know but you do like there are some dwarf songs that are like um I guess because the reason I thought of that question is because like a lot of your songs are like mini stories 
you know, as opposed to, yeah, like a freaking journal entry that you're just like you journaled and now you're putting it to, to song or, um, you know, like a love song or something more poetic. There's like many stories. So I don't know. That's why I thought of that question. Yeah. I mean, I heard uh, Brian Wilson refer to them as pocket symphonies, which I think is an in interesting way of looking at it. You know, can you build something mm -hmm. in this short time span? You know, can you introduce it and build it up to a climax and then hit that climax another time or two? Yeah. And then have, have a breakdown that gives people a break and then hit the biggest climax at, at the end. I mean, there's certain there's certain things that you hit in songwriting that people who think about songwriting a lot, you know, are very used to the parameters of. And yeah, a book is paced a little differently and a story is paced a little differently. I think I know songs a lot better than I know stories and books and, and narratives. I think I have a lot to learn there. I, I never really think of myself as an accomplished writer or someone that, you know, I think I've made some objects that are interesting. Those yeah. books are, are interesting and they're objects and they do a certain thing. And the more you know me, the more maybe interesting they might be. I think with songs, I've written a lot of songs that really could be a great song for anybody or could be interesting for anybody, you know, but then you sort of run into the marketing of the music industry. You know, a lot of people just because of the marketing of the dwarves have never experienced it because they're like, yeah, good luck with that bullshit. I have no <laughs> interest in that. Don't want to see it, you know, and then. There's a lot of people who just shut off as soon as they hear anything fast or with a guitar yeah. in it. It's just like, yeah, good luck. You know, I like to dance. So suck my dick. I'll never listen to this. Or, you know, hey, I'm a little older now. This might have been cool in high school with my weird friend playing it for me. But now I'm 25 and really just good luck with your bullshit. Enjoy. I'm going to listen over here. Yeah. You know, so so I think a lot of my stuff could have been enjoyed by different groups of people, but but probably never will be. And I think the books are somewhat like that too, you know? Um, yeah. But just my fate, I guess. Well, and I mean, everything has like a certain demographic anyway, so whatever. Here's an advert in less than 50 seconds. Are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Do you want to feel better in your mind and body? Then check out the wellness coaching that I offer. It's kind of like therapy. You can share what's on your mind, and then it's all about taking action. You'll learn new tools to help you heal and grow through what's tripping you up. We can focus on anything from physical health to mental health. Schedule a free 15-minute consult over on the website to learn more. And check out our Healthy Touring course. This self-guided online video course is for any level of musician. Whether you tour all the time or only sometimes, you'll learn a ton if your goal is to play better, feel better, and be better. With special appearances by members of Descendants, Teenage Bottle Rocket, The Last Gang, Lawrence Arms, and more. Head over to the website for all the details. Now, back to the interview. Is there anything you do that sets the stage for inspiration for your writing? Good question. Um, you know, I don't really get high and write. I know a lot of people who do that. I like to get high to, to just annihilate my brain. I can't really think terribly well on it. And so, yeah, um, that doesn't really do it for me. It's more, you know, for me, it come, it's funny because there, there's a whole side of writing the, or the writing craft or the writing job. And they refer to it as, you know, ass in chair, you know, get your ass in that chair, sit down and start yeah. writing, you know? Yeah, well, because on, like as a tangent to that, because I mean, go on that rant with this. Someone asked, um, they, well, I... Okay, so they asked, how can we consistently motivate ourselves to hit word count goals? So I was going to do the question by saying, like, do you write on a word count goal? No, I'm sure not. So, like, include that with that rant. Well, look, there's something to what the questioner says. 
a lot of people just have trouble getting started. They haven't spent their lives on stage like me. They haven't put themselves forward like me. And so for a lot of people who write, they're paralyzed. <clears throat> There's a great book in their head, just like with a lot of young people in a band. There's a great album in their head that, that they sort of abstractly hear. And it's the reason why they don't put anything to tape for 10 years. And there's a great novel in your head or a great story in your head. That's the reason why you just can't touch the keys and you can't do it. Yeah, so what is up with that fear? Yeah, so there's something to be said for put your ass in the chair and simply force yourself to write. If you force yourself to write 10 songs, maybe the 11th one will be pretty good. If you force yourself to write 10 short stories, maybe the 11th one will be pretty good. If you force yourself to write a couple novels, maybe, you know, the third or fourth one will be good. You know, that is reasonable. I mean, there's more than one way to skin a cat and however you want to do it, get yourself into it and do it. If ass and chair is what you need to do. Plus, there's a lot of people. I mean, like my my brother, my brother is a scholar. He writes books. He's very ass and chair, you know, because he spent his life getting an education. You had to pass that course. You had to get to that place. You had to listen. You had to write things. And then you had to pass that exam. You had to, you had to, you know what I mean? So I understand that. I'm self-motivated. I don't need ass and chair. I can have my ass in a fucking hammock. I can have my ass, you know, 3,000 meters in the sky. I can have my ass in a Himalayan deck chair. It really doesn't fucking matter to me. I create shit because that's what I do. Mm -hmm. I don't have any word count goals. I scrap things if I don't think they're good. I've scrapped entire albums after they were recorded because I felt that I failed to get it properly. I've, I've scrapped entire stories and entire books because I felt like, oh, I didn't really approach this right. That's kind of the other level of the game. If you get to the point where you're comfortable enough with yourself to scrap a bunch of shit, I think you're doing pretty well because you understand that ultimately we're making works of art here. I'm not trying to put out a book. I don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. I want to write a good book. I don't give a fuck about writing a song. Right. So my ass can be in any conveyance. It doesn't matter that I write another song. That means nothing. And it doesn't matter that you write another song. And it doesn't matter that you write a book or an article. That's not important. It's important that you write a good song. It's important that you write a good article. It's important that you write a good novel. That's yeah. what I'm trying to do. And so I don't set goals for myself about productivity, but I understand people who do because, you know, if you spent your life in school and that's what motivates you and that's how you go, then by all means, make your productivity goal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it also depends what you want to get. I haven't really succeeded at becoming, uh, you know, a great hit recording artist or producer or songwriter or novelist. And so a lot of people look at it and go, well, fuck, you know, your undisciplined approach is why you're, you're, you don't have all this success. I'm going to do it in a disciplined way and be successful. And I, I wish them great good luck. Their art's going to suck dick, of course. But what difference does that make if you're successful? Successful people make their own reality. So if you make a terrible song, but it's at the top of the charts, you've been successful. If you write a boring novel, but it tops the New York Times bestseller list, congratulations on, on your success. Maybe you can lend me some money or just throw me a dime as you pass yeah. by. You know? And it's also compromising, like, which some people are okay with compromising, like your values and like integrity for the sake of like success, you know? Sure. Yeah. I don't spend any time trying to be successful at anything. I probably should, you know, um, but I, I just, I'm self-directed. I want to write a good book because I like good books and I want to be able to say this, this book is good. You know, when, when I, I, I don't have a book yet that I can compare to the, no the novelists I love and the people that influence me, you know, Celine or, or you know, these kind of people, or even mo modern people. Chuck Palahniuk, I think, is a good example of a guy who always comes up with an interesting book, who keeps it short and, and readable, but also pushes some boundaries, you know? I think T.C. Boyle is a good example of sort of that classic kind of 
college educated professor writer guy who does that style extremely well and i find his books really interesting you know he's deep he comes up with you know he does stuff that if you're on my intellectual level you you can't really do you know he 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 researches a whole thing and has a whole background to it and then he creates a narrative within that and he makes characters that you care about i mean this is a feat you know that sort of you need to be smart to do that shit. I, I never really pretended to be that smart. You know, I, I, I know what I can do and, and I sort of try and, you know, plow that field. Um, but there's, there's all kinds of ways to, to do it. And look, you know, the people who grew up poorer than me, maybe are more success oriented and people who grew up more frustrated than me, maybe are more success oriented than, than they need that. I mean, I remember meeting band. I remember meeting a, a young band and I was, I got hired to do some lyrics for them because they couldn't come up with any, with any lyrics. And, and, you know, it was all under the table. We'll give you a few thousand dollars. We're not going to put your name on it, you know, and I'm talking to these guys and, you know, to them, it was just all about, we were poor, man. And we, you know, me and my brother and my mom, we had to huddle around the, the radiator, you know, and then we'd, we'd look at MTV cribs and, oh my God, you know, the houses that people lived in. And then, and then we'd see people, you know, going to the Grammys and, and, and getting into a limousine and the way it made them feel, you know, and, and it was like, okay, man, I'm trying to respect this. You know, I'm trying to respect this. There's a part of me that grew up in a nice suburb and saw the occasional fucking nice house or or nice car that thinks you're a complete fucking phony. Congratulations. You don't give a fuck about art at all. You're a little jerk off sitting around dreaming of riding in a limousine. I hope you fucking die, you know. <laughs> but then but then there was another part of me that was like, hey man, you know, that's your little poor boy's dream. I don't have that because I wasn't a little poor boy. So I don't know what to say to you. I was poor as fuck when I moved out of my parents' house and into the city. I think I, I've lived a completely working class adulthood. Uh, and, you know, again, that's got its own le level of complexity. You know, I find it very hard to find love for the bands where it's like, yeah, man, you know, we were snorting blow and shooting dope and we were drunk all the time. And, you know, the girl from the record label tried to help us, but we told her to suck our dick. And then our manager came in and he tried to get me out of the hotel room where I had a needle in me, but I told him to fuck off too, you know? And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, man, if anybody would have helped me at any fucking point, I would have been really happy. So, so listening to how you squandered everything just to be a jerk off and get high, you know what I mean? It's like, it makes for a funny story, but yeah. it, you know, you're, you're living your personal life and it's like, fuck, I was working in a t-shirt factory when the girl from the record label was trying to help you, you know, yeah. I was, I was a short order cook. I, I worked on a landscape crew, you know, I, I made plastic bottles when they still had factories in San Francisco. I, I worked in one, you know, so it's like, <laughs> you know, I have, I have different relationships with different people's way of approaching art depending on what what they had to do you know there are people sitting around trying to write their novel going i'm sick of being poor and all i want to be is rich and i want to sit next to salman rushdie not because i want to talk to him about his novel but because i want people to go i'm just as famous as salman rushdie you know and it's like none of that ever touched me at all you know i yeah. just had no interest in it and and i i'm just i'm all about the art itself just try yeah. to make something great. That's it. And hope for the best. Yeah. The bigger real purpose that it does not exist for everybody, as you said. Okay. Next question. Um, I see you're advertising my friends, decent criminal. I am. They just great, really great group. Album. Hunter um, was a dwarf and uh, um, him and his brother, Tristan have that band decent criminal. So you guys need to go check that out great it's band true. it's true uh and the back of this shirt is pretty far out too there's like an eyeball uh, so. yes yep <laughs> yeah they went for a little safer imagery than the dwarves you know but but yeah. uh we we love them they they hit an interesting point it's almost kind of 90s revival sort of uh which i find interesting you know to me, of course, 90s, it was already too late, you know, 
<laughs> but you know, to them, it's like, wow, this is what people were doing 20 years ago. You know, it's like, okay. Have you, but have you heard the new album like that just came out? Yeah, I was privileged to hear it before. Um, but they say, you know, people make sure to send me shit when it's too late because they know I'm going to weigh in with all of my suggestions. <laughs> They're like, sorry, they it's too late. hear it, but only right. to a point. <laughs> they, want, they, they want to hear it, but they don't want to hear my inevitable opinion on it. I, I don't blame them. Um, but yeah, no, uh, uh, they keep getting better by leaps and bounds, uh, and, uh, doing interesting stuff. So yeah, Decent criminal. That's right. Do you want another question off this list or what? Sure. Okay. Um, someone asked what gives you the biggest writer's high when writing? I get, I get those, and especially with songwriting, uh, but with the novels too. And it's that great moment when no one's read it, no one's heard it. And you just get that moment of like, oh, this is really going to get them. You know, this is funny. You know, this is, this is good. You know, like, I know I'm going to get a laugh with this, or I know I'm going to freak them out with this. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's it for me. I mean, it, to me, it, 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 you know, it's great to have those moments when your shit comes out and other people see it and go, wow, this is great. But I didn't have as many of those as moments when it was like, oh man, this is fucking great. And you just kind of know it yourself. You know, that's yeah. kind of, again, that sort of art for art's sake thing, you know? Yeah. Um, someone else asked, can you speak to writing as catharsis? And then I kind of added on to that, like, does writing energize or drain you? Good question. You know, I don't know that I've really had a writing catharsis. I've had musical catharsi, whatever the <laughs> plural of that Girl. is. Yeah, when you like make a record and hear it mixed and hear it and you go, damn, I never did anything like this. And there were, there were sort of certain moments that I trace my life to in, in recording where it's like, basically there's four records that when I made them, I said, wow, you know, I could die now. Like, this is important to me. No one else ever made a record quite like this. I think me and my group have reached the pinnacle of this or that style. And that really hasn't happened to me with a book, you know, but I hope it does. I mean, I think, in other words, I, I think catharsis is possible through art and you can really have these monumental kind of glacial feelings. And I, and I, you know, that moves sometimes and sort of tectonically and you go, whoa, you know, this is a whole realignment. And I hope that happens to me in writing. I mean, I, 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 I feel my interest in making records waning some and my interest in talking and writing sort of going up. And so, you know, maybe, maybe there will be more of that, but I, I had a musical catharsis last year with that solo record and i really felt like wow this is a totally different style nobody would have imagined that the guy screaming let's get pregnant in 1988 was gonna make this album and so i i think the catharsis are possible and you got to work your way through it and again that's where you get to the ass and chair you know mm -hmm. people are looking for that but you spend a lifetime looking for that so you have to enjoy the journey and then when it happens, you have to feel it and go, wow, this was a big deal. And it might not be mirrored by any sales or any encouragement from anyone else. It just feels like, whoa, this was something new. I mean, I remember when I sort of brought sampling into the dwarves and I felt like, wow, you know, I've kind of combined my love of hip hop and deconstructing this stuff with rock and roll. And it seems like kind of a seamless thing. You know, did anyone notice? you know, no, people wrote reviews, of those records and went dwarves are screaming fuck again, you know? And I was like, but fuck, you know, I did, I did this or that, you know, didn't you, yeah. didn't you pick up on that? But people don't always that record on your catharsis. Yeah. That record yeah. in, in particular is one of my top four, but it was not a terribly popular record among our fans. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I do, you know, it's funny that one, <laughs> that one yeah i mean i got a lot of regrets about that one no notably that cover which was the <laughs> second cover put on there and, it, and just as shitty as the first one well the back, is, back cover the back yeah. is cool yeah i dug the back cover there and again very, i mean it's very garage revival 80s garage revival though yes. 
Absolutely. And, it, yeah. and, and, you know, and it's very much a record made by people with no help, mm -hmm. no, no producer, no anything. You know, you walk into a studio that you don't know how to use making your first record and you go, let's try this, you know, let's do that. I mean, it, it's very, uh, the journey. Yeah. You know, and, and there's something to be said for that. Um, people that start out successful tend to have a lot of problems because mm -hmm. a lot of shit gets laid in perfectly for them at the beginning and people love to market young people. And so they get in there and everything's perfect. And then they go, well, I can do this, you know, and it turns out they don't know anything about where their record came from, you know, mm -hmm. that's why on that, <laughs> the song Massacre on, on uh, The Dwarves Must Die, you know, I say, they played you your record. You asked, is that me? Yeah. You know, because you, you, there's a lot of people making records that really, you know, they just fit the suit. Yeah. You know, I okay. look at horror stories. And I think that was me and my friends walking into a recording studio, paying our own money and hoping for the best, you know, and that's the fact that that record will trade for a hundred dollars and up now, you know, I think speaks to that what we were doing was important and interesting in its own little way, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. How about, tell me about your relationship to writer's block. How does one get back on track and continue to move forward? That's a cousin to the ass and chair question. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you don't go through writer's block. You go around it. If you're having trouble writing your novel, write a short story or a poem. Yeah. Having trouble writing a song, then, you know, think about writing a movie. I mean, look at other directions to go that can open your mind and, and jar things doing something is better than doing nothing yes and uh you know that's a way to deal with writer's block and a lot of times writer's block is telling you you've done the same thing too many times in a row and so the problem that you're having really isn't writing the problem you're having is your own ego which is telling you things can only be this way you can only write this kind of a song you can only write this kind of a story and so if you shake out of that, then there's a good chance that, you know, the writer's block won't exist. The other way that people do it is, you know, go to the gym or have sex or, or make a telephone call or do anything that so you're not writing. Yeah. And the third thing I would suggest, which a lot of people don't know about is, and this is a hard one to master, but do it in a distracted way watch television and try and write your story while you're doing it and following the thing and see what comes out when you do that again i wouldn't i wouldn't recommend that as the first way to go but if you're really experiencing writer's block then you need to go at things at a more oblique angle instead of a straight on angle and so you can do it maybe while you read another book you know re read somebody else's book and then just try and write a couple sentences Mm -hmm. um just anything so you're not doing the same thing and attacking it the same way i think also just like stress and i feel like this goes for like anything but stressing out about it is only going to make it worse you got to just like relax and just shift gears yeah yeah absolutely um someone else asked how do you hold yourself accountable for finishing pieces you start that's sort of the same being a finisher is extremely difficult for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a finisher. I want that record to be done at some point. I'll work and work on it and finger fuck it. And the band will be going, this should have been done six months ago. But I do want to finish at some point. And this is very important. A lot of the most intelligent people you know just can't finish anything. That's why they... That's why they're waiting tables or, or, or working at the skate shop or whatever they're doing because they just couldn't quite finish. Yeah. I know, I know so many people who went to college for three years and a semester, but just couldn't do that last semester. Or people tell me I was about to get my degree, but I just didn't take that final. 
Yeah. And, and, and it's like, that's a certain, scared, like you're scared of what's on the other side. Right. It's just, a, it's again, it's just a pathology and you should get over it. You should go back and take that last semester. I don't care if it was 20 years ago. You should go back and take that last test just to show yourself that you can do it. You know, I, I, I went to college for one year in the eighties and I think I learned some stuff, you know, but I was kind of an unmanageable person. I didn't like institutions. I didn't like anybody telling me what to do. I wanted to be in a rock band. I, I ran off. But years later, you know, when I turned 50, I said, you know what? I'm kind of bored with the people that I meet and the things that I do. I'm going to go and take some college courses. And instead of taking what I was interested in, I did just the opposite. I took all of the requirement courses that I'd need to graduate, even though I'll probably never graduate and probably never finish. So I took math and biology and geology, and I did it because I'm not good at those things. I don't understand those things, and it doesn't come easily to me. And I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. And so I did it, you know. Um, I, I think now I would be a junior in college if, 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 if I went. I haven't really looked into it. But I always want, I, I never, like, I didn't pursue a college degree, but I always wanted to do it. And when I look at people who have it, I think, oh, well, they went through the mental exercise necessary to get a degree. That's not nothing. Mm -hmm. Didn't influence what happened in, in my life. And in fact, standing in opposition to it for so long probably informed some of, some of what, what I did. But I never, I never felt proud of that. I didn't feel proud that I dropped out and couldn't do it. And I had to prove to myself that I, that I could do it. Yeah. And, and now I feel a lot better that I could have done it because I've now gone through all of the kind of requirement stuff that would have, you know, cause I always thought, yeah, sure. You know, you could have done a bunch of English courses in history because you already know that shit, mm -hmm. but could you have passed that math class? You know, could you have passed that geology? It was an open question. So yeah. I did, you know, so. Is I mean, there anything I, that you uh, remember learning from like the math, biology or geology that like, you're like, wow, that was like super interesting or proud of yourself for retaining or any, any of that? Yeah. I mean, biology, I think I know a lot more about just the basic movement of my body, something I knew nothing about and the basic cell movement, the basic movements of the universe. And math more taught me something about modern education and how we look at things. So I went to that class as a kid who'd gone to sort of a, a good public high school in Illinois in the mid 80s. So I prepared for math. I went and paid a tutor for a few weeks to kind of warm me up and do some math shit with me. And then I went in there and then I assiduously did my homework and I, I was only taking one course, which makes it easier. A lot of students yeah. got four courses to take and their work and it's very difficult. I took one course, you know, but I'm an old guy. I got to run my business. I got to add to tour, do my make money and whatever. But anyway, you know, I went in there, I studied very hard. And when the first quiz came back, I had gotten a hundred on it. And, you know, it was a short quiz. I think it was 10, 10 questions, but I knew that I was not my aptitude. I studied it and I knew uh -huh. it. Uh -huh. On the other hand, most of the students had done really poorly. And what I thought was, oh, okay, this is like the wake up call time. These students are like me when I was that age, when I wouldn't think about it, detested doing homework. And then would get a not so good grade and think, fuck, you know, this is this might be weird. I wonder if my parents are going to get mad or if something's going to happen. But that isn't what happened. Instead, en masse, they rebelled on the teacher who was sort of a young, probably not even 30 yet, guy who was anxious to have the students like him and not get complaints about him. And immediately... And I heard several students say, you know, we need this course to, to get into state, but we're going to need this course to graduate. And so they didn't make the connection between you work harder and then you get to graduate. Instead, it was, hey, this teacher's being really unfair. He's asking me hard questions, which I don't understand. 
And of course, what I thought the teacher was going to say was, hey, I got office hours, dummy. Show up, do some shit. But he didn't. He kind of crumbled. The rest of the the rest of the course went real easy. And I got an A in math. I probably deserved a C in math. Nah, B minus. And the same, and 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 no, probably a C minus was what I actually retained with all my studying. But I got an A. Why? Because he immediately modified the course to make it easy for the students who were complaining. And that's of a piece of what is happening with California schools in general. They they want to create what they call equity, meaning just giving degrees to everybody who bothers to show up which of course cheapens the the thing itself yeah now i I don't know you know it's like if if somebody i mean math is necessary for a lot of things in life and if you don't have any aptitude in math you're probably not going to be a great doctor or a great architect or a great lawyer or a great much of anything if you don't have any aptitude in it you need some baseline aptitude and they're just wishing it away in an attempt to say we help more disadvantaged people get a degree and be able to say that they have a, a degree. Yep. I'm going to say yep and then ask you another question because that is a rabbit hole that I don't want to go down. Yeah, on. I don't blame you. I mean, you immediately get into the kind of Bill Maher, you know, and the whole woke thing. I'm not trying to go down that rabbit hole, but I am saying I experienced it firsthand. I thought the teacher was going to respond like a 1980s Illinois teacher. And instead they responded very much like a 21st century California teacher, which was, how can I please you? How can I, how can you not be angry at me? You know, I, I took the A, I didn't mind getting it, but I didn't deserve it. But you still, you still probably studied and like took the course seriously. Granted, he made it easier, but you still put effort in, which is probably. I did because, because I didn't want to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a question that I'm excited to ask you. <laughs> How do you have slash maintain a large vocabulary or just does it come naturally to you? You have to read. Um, I think there's two things. One is reading, which is yep. there, there's no substitute for if you can't read, you can't think. Yeah. Um, people dispute that when I say that, but I urge you to think a little deeper. Um, it's also reading. And then when you don't know the word, look it up or really try and like figure out the context, but like make an effort to right. actually grasp it that too. Right. Which leads to the second thing, which is just surround yourself with intelligent people so that you're talking to people who use words that are more expansive um, but again, you have to read to think because only in reading do you get that moment to bounce things off the interior of your brain and think about them abstractly. In a conversation, there's all kinds of other things. You're trying to impress the other person. You're trying to show you're not ignorant. You're trying to uh, uh, you know, get your point across. You're trying to get the job you want, whatever it is. So um, if, if you can't read, you can't think. If you're not reading you you it doesn't mean you're stupid far from it but what it does mean is that you can't think and and that's a problem i mean if you're just living life from experience then the earth is flat isn't it i mean i'm looking out my window right now and i see clearly that the earth is flat i'm Uh having experiences and that's what my experience is telling me it is only through reading that you understand that the world is round And so, you know, it's only through reading that you understand that there are lots of tiny cells in you, billions of them. And it's only through reading that you understand that there are lots of tiny microbes all over you. I don't understand what life experience you would have that would tell you that, right? So, you know, if you can't read, you can't think. If you're not reading, you need to start reading and you need to surround yourself with people that are, are, uh, are smart enough to to talk to and are going to challenge you a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because it took me a long time to be comfortable reading um, fiction books because I would only read like science. So then I started like alternating 
to like shift it up in my brain and stuff. But like, it was, I was like, if I'm reading, I need to be learning something. So like, if it's not like educational, what's the point? But there's a lot of people like that. Yeah. Um, And that's sort of another side, a way that people develop their own ignorance really in a sense, because science can teach you a lot and there's a lot to say there, but the idea that everything is quantifiable is, is wrong. And a lot of the biggest scientific achievements come from kind of organic philosophical ideas. I mean, you know, how how long had Eastern religion been saying, you know, all is one, we're, we, we're all descended from the same thing. And then at a certain point, E equals MC squared comes along and science proves that we're all one and time and space are the same thing and, and this and that. You if Einstein was not an abstract thinker, he wasn't going to come to that through lots of equations. Mm-hmm. That wasn't what was going to bring him there. Mm-hmm. You know, Newton was not going to, through a series of equations, figure out about gravity. It right. had something to do with life, the life he was living, how objects work, but how life works. You know, Curiosity. So, yeah. Yeah, that. Um. Yeah. Are there any other genres or things that you'd like to write? For example, nonfiction or a screenplay? Yeah, I mean, nonfiction has been hard for me because I've written a lot of autobiographical stuff and then just didn't like the guy and didn't want to put it out and, and couldn't figure out my way into it. So that I'm, I'm hoping that I get to that point where I can do things other than humor and parody uh, that's sort of a bridge I need to climb. Screenplay interests me less. I'm more interested in writing a good book and then having somebody pick it apart and make a great screenplay out of it. Like I said, I'm not a very visual person. I certainly have my ideas about what makes a good movie, but that's the kind of thing I'd like to kind of leave to the experts. Um, same way, you know, I don't try and play the drums, you know, it's not going to come out better just because I did it. I know a lot of people in music is like, I got to do everything. I played the drums and then I played the bass and I played the guitar. It's like, it sounds like it, dude. <laughs> you suck on bass and you suck on drums and that's what happened, you know? It's like, you know, so I I like to make objects and I I do everything I can to make the object good. I'm okay with myself as a human being. So I don't I don't need to be a drummer. I need a good drummer on my record. I don't need to be the only producer in the room because there's other producers that know shit that I don't know and, and they can help me. So, you know, I don't need to be the only songwriter in the room. There's a lot of good songwriters. And so, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's how I'd answer that. Like screenplay is something I've tried and and I do have some interest in it, but I I doubt you'll ever get like a screenplay by me. I think chances are better you'll get a novel by me and somebody will make it a screenplay out of it. I, I think this new book, Highland Falls, should be a Tarantino movie. I, I think it's got lots of action and fun in it. I think it's probably got too much sex for a Tarantino movie. It'd have to be a director that has some concept of sex. But, you know, it, it's like, um, yeah, I think sort of making records and writing books is probably the two things that I'm going to be capable of doing, the third one being, you know, talking, interviewing people, doing shows. And so I've, I've started again doing a uh, podcast, um, which is just in the nascent stages. I haven't put it out yet. I'm going to make like 50 of them and figure out what it is and then slowly put them out, you know. Uh, uh, but I think those are kind of the three things that I do naturally. It's like do a little show, interview thing, uh, write a book or make a record you know I dig it I'm here for it <laughs> well yeah you're buying you're buying the stuff so thank <laughs> you Amy I appreciate it the any support is is wonderful that's right um yeah well those are pretty much all the questions your uh water glass looked empty so yeah. you want to call it Sounds good. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thanks for 
chatting about writing and other rabbit holes that I wanted to go down, but withheld. There you go. Be well. Sometimes she'd wonder why in Tennessee, New Jersey was a guy who said he was her.